0: Hi there, happy money people. Welcome back to another episode of Your World, Your Money. This is Mary, and together with our co-host, Nolan, hi there, we're excited to share an important episode with someone from an absolutely amazing organization.
1: That's right, Mary. Our guest this week is Anu Thomas, the Executive Director of Esperanza Immigration Legal Services, based in the heart of the Latinx community in North Philadelphia. For those unfamiliar, Esperanza provides a wide variety of programs and services to the Latinx community of Hunting Park in North Philly. A fixture in the community, building advocacy and faith, Esperanza has set a national example for elevating and serving a community without compromising its cultural values and needs.
0: That's absolutely spot on. And we're big fans of Esperanza over here and their humanistic and community-based work that they are tirelessly striving for. In today's episode, Anu will share with us more about Esperanza's current mission, illuminating the community she serves, and of course, graciously teaching us all what's being done on the ground for immigrants during this contentious time here in the United States.
1: In this conversation on immigrants, we really want to get into the financial side of the conversation. Talking to the macroeconomic impacts and the household economic impacts of being an immigrant in the US today. The landscape of immigration has been through so much in the last decade, and its future is still looking a bit tumultuous. Today, we are going to talk about some real people in a hard won community that are fighting for a better future for immigration and families alike. <laughs>
0: I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money.
2: We will be talking real money with real
0: people in a real way.
1: Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise.
0: Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hanger Studios. A New York City based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all.
1: Hi, Anu. It is so amazing to have you joining us today. For those unfamiliar, can you tell us a little bit more about Esperanza and some of the work that you all do with this amazing organization?
2: Absolutely. So the community that Esperanza lives and thrives in is really quite a vibrant one. You know, it's funny, I grew up in Philadelphia and I did not know the sort of depth that existed in North Philadelphia where we're based. We're in the 19140 zip code. And, you know, it's really crazy because you have such a mix of cultures here. You have a strong Dominican population. You have the Colombian population, a lot of Puerto Ricans as well. But in addition to the sort of Latinx communities that you see here, we have Polish community. We have a Korean community. We have a Palestinian community all within blocks of each other. And I really love and can appreciate the sort of multicultural nature of this neighborhood. And I think that it really is a microcosm of the world (laughs) in our own little corner.
1: With such a diverse population in, in such close proximity, tell us about how that impacts your work. Like what kinds of communities are you working with? What kind of services are you providing? What does that look like?
2: Sure. Yeah. So... I am the executive director of Esperanza Immigration Legal Services. We are affiliated with Esperanza, which is the bigger sort of organization here, and it has many sort of prongs of the work that it does. We offer immigration legal services to predominantly to this neighborhood, but we're, we're starting to see a lot more folks since we've been remote from other neighboring areas as well. But you know, there is, in terms of the services that Esperanza offers, we have a arts community, we do housing in the community, we do community development in in various different forms. And I think the benefit of being part of this type of multifaceted organization is that there's always this collaboration and ongoing dialogue that goes on. And I think what exists at the heart of all of it is really a focus on the individuals, right? So Mm -hmm. being led by the individuals. And it's funny, one of your previous guests, uh, who I really enjoyed listening to, uh, Tori Cooper, I think she said it really well when she talked about people being the subject matter experts of their own lived experience, right? And we recognize that at Esperanza, and I think we do what we can to kind of create the opportunity to find a community that will lead, right? Lead us mm-hmm. to tell us what it is that we can do to serve. And we definitely do that at EILS in particular as well. It's funny you know, 2020, the whole world had to make a pivot. We did as well. And all through that process, we were in dialogue with our clients to ask them, how can we help you with this process, right? And how do we continue this really important work and representation without interruption, even though there's all of this chaotic things happening in the world? So I think that's something that Esperanza is really a staple in the community and, and our roots go really deep in this community.
0: Honing in on one thing that you said, I know that Esperanza and ELIS is very client focused in its legal services. Tell us why that's so important. Everyone can imagine why that's important in general, but why is that so important for your community and why is that model so profound for Esperanza?
2: Absolutely. So in our sort of Field, we call it client centered lawyering. Mm. I think each field has their own version of this, right? But it's really understanding that folks are the authors of their own stories, right? And they are able to drive both their experiences and the expression of their needs, right? And additionally, how much they contribute, right? So I think if you look at that holistically, what you see is are sort of individuals that, in Esperanza, we say creating an opportunity community, right? Which is really, we are all part of this process of creating a community where folks want to live, right? Where, where folks want to be and where folks can thrive. And I think that particular model is so important in every single sector because it takes a perspective that is holistic and this is so essential mm-hmm. to ensuring that the work that you do has the profound impact that it needs to do
1: so can you talk a little bit i'm curious about what are the kind of like legal challenges that folks in the community might be facing like obviously immigrants have such a burden sometimes in in terms of adapting to a new life, but also adapting to the legal requirements that might seem confusing, completely foreign in in any number of ways. How do you all jump in to help serve that role and help people feel more at ease, I guess, in participating in the community and, and living their best lives?
2: Sure. So in terms of the sort of legal services that we offer, right, it's a sort of bread and butter, if you will, is, is citizenship facing work, right? So helping individuals who have been here for extended periods of time and enabling them to sort of pathways of status that provide more benefits, right? What I would love your audience to focus in on is really what the immigrant community brings to us, right? So what we do is we, we kind of shepherd the The process, right? But looking at sort of, and this is certainly something that's in the public eye, I think, currently, right? That in thinking about pathways to citizenship for folks that are eligible, right? So we have folks who are in DACA status, folks who are in temporary protected status, and a slew of sort of undocumented folks who are essential workers. And thinking about pathways to citizenship for these individuals, it's really, really important to understand why that is so valuable. To this country. As this is being sort of debated in the Senate, there was a letter that came out, 50 economists wrote talking about this, and the numbers are actually startling. I actually encourage everybody to read it. It's a couple page letters with some attachments, but it's definitely worth the read because what it really does is it puts it in black and white, it puts the data in black and white. And that is that by creating Pathways to Citizenship for these folks, what you're doing is you would grow the U.S. GDP by $1.5 That's trillion with a T, right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing, right? And also that you would be raising annual wages of all workers by $600, right? And the thought of, I really want to underscore this sort of economic prowess of the community to do this, to bring up the country and contribute to that economically. Now, and that's not even mentioning, of course, right, the sort of increase in federal, state, local taxes, right, and, and both mm-hmm. the contributions that, go, that goes into Social Security, that goes into Medicare, that goes into the security nets that's available for all, right? And I think it has to be underscored how valuable economically the community is to the, the country as a whole.
0: As you're talking about this, I think it's so important because whether we want to admit it or not, there's a mindset in the United States, and there's a there are presumptions about the role that immigrants play. So first, thank you for highlighting every piece of that, and I hope everybody picked up on it. And thinking about the economic impact of the immigrant community, I also want to think about the economic impact that immigration has on a family or on a person. So as you're working with these families and these individuals, economically, the path to citizenship is stressful and it's tough, but it's also usually kind of expensive and the access isn't always available. So can you speak a little bit to just the the legal and, and economic impact on the individual and, and the, the family unit and what they have to live through and experience in order to be this economic contribution that we sometimes don't give them the credit that they deserve, that they are?
2: Yeah, sure. So applications for citizenship run in the 600s, right? Mm-hmm. Even even just looking at the sticker price, right, can be, as you're saying, very difficult to meet. We certainly see clients who, who make this concentrated effort and they're thinking years out, right, before they're able to make the decision to, okay, we're ready. We have the means to then go for citizenship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in speaking to the sort of prejudices around the immigrant community. I think there's a lot to be said, right, about the sort of perceptions that exist and then the realities, right? And we touched on that. We're talking about economics, but you know, there's the, the sort of prejudice that folks are taking a seat at the table, right? Like let's address that one head on, right? That this is a zero-sum game. There's x amount of opportunities and and afterwards, you know, we don't want folks at the table. But I think if you take a look at what we're talking about, right? So Basically, if we're able to create, for example, pathways to citizenship, but even just looking at the population, we bring all of these people to the table, what are we doing? We're not taking a seat at the table. What we're doing is we're we're really contributing to a rising tide that lifts all boats, right? And, Mm -hmm. And how does that work, right? Because the immigrant population is highly represented in industries that are key focus is on sort of improving working conditions. What you're doing is bringing more voices, more power to that narrative, right? When you're talking about the fight for fair wages, the fight for a fair work week, uh, working conditions, fair and safe working conditions, right? What I think folks should kind of think about is, oh, wait a minute, I now have an abundant amount of allies in this process, right? So I think that Sort of that reframing is so much more productive, right? And because I think what it happens to do is it helps you to refocus the conversation on the sort of real injustices. So the inequitable distribution of wealth in this country, right? That's where we need to focus because what you are doing is you're creating a population that is enabling all to enforce their sort of rights that are guaranteed under under labor law. And that's sort of improving conditions for all workers, Right there's the perception and then there's the reality and the possibility of what could be if if folks were able to take a step back and take a look at the realities, right, of the situation.
1: I think that's very powerful. And I have to say, I mean, the economic statistics are just mind-blowing, as you said earlier, just the sheer benefit immigrants bring to our lives in so many ways. But I have to say that sometimes it seems like the economic, putting just economic numbers on it seems almost a little dehumanizing, right? Like, people aren't just a a GDP figure. They're bringing so much to the table in terms of cultural diversity and new perspectives. And I love this framing that immigrant workers are integral tools for us to push for better society, better working conditions for everyone, and that it's not a zero-sum game. I'm curious what your take is on how to communicate the holistic picture. And do you think it's valuable sometimes to just lean into the economic numbers, the increase to GDP, or are there ways we can capture that holistic picture to really hit home that the benefits immigrants bring to our communities are untold, incalculable, and we need to embrace all of that?
2: So absolutely, right? I couldn't agree more with that. I think from my perspective, there's two sort of key highlights, right? One is the contributions. And then one is the empathy, creating the empathy around this concept. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I always think about, you know, they say, I mean, this is, this is a little, uh, morbid, but they say if you're ever in a, in a situation where somebody has you captive, right? What you're supposed to do is tell them information about your life. Why? It's because it builds empathy, right? And I think in a lot of ways, what we want to focus on, right, is that, yes, there is a human being, right, that is part of this narrative. You guys can see this. Your listeners can, not but right behind me on the wall here, this is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, right? This is the code. This is my code. And it always has astonished me because on there, there's basically 30 sentences. 30 sentences that sum up the sort of, the basic fundamental rights of each individual human being. And what I can tell you without hesitance is that every one of the clients that I've ever helped, for them, they're fighting for one of those rights, right? And I think we in this country, we continue to fight for some of those rights, including fair and equitable economic rights, right? And I think when you are able to kind of understand that, right, it is an individual who is looking for a situation in which they can Improve, right? They can thrive. I do think it builds. It helps to helps with that lens switching that I was talking about, right? There's a word in Spanish that I like. I'm not a native speaker, but I certainly use Spanish a lot. Of our our clients, as we talked about from the Latinx community, sobrevivir, and this word in Spanish means survival. Okay, and from my sort of non-native lens, I've always loved this word because it's a bit contradictory, right? So vivir is to live in Spanish, right? And sobre is como is like more than. Right. So it, it, it's funny. It's the word for survival. But to me, I've always thought it meant to m- more than live. Right. To thrive. And that sort of, you know, that sort of captures it. Right. It, f- folks come here to sobrevivir, but more than live. Right. And that's that's always something I kind of I like to kind of place that in my for my own perspective, because Yes, everybody is seeking the opportunity and, and are doing incredible things to enhance the country as a whole. And each has a story that I think is is definitely sort of relatable. Um, one additional thing I'll kind of bring to the table here is I think COVID really brought this to light, right? So I think the numbers are basically 5 million or so workers in this country are considered undocumented essential workers, right? So these were the folks that were making sure that the food from the fields got into our grocery stores. These were the folks that were making sure that that the patients were being treated in the hospitals, taking care of our kids, taking care of our grandparents, right? And basically making sure that this the sort of infrastructure stayed intact we could not have done it without them. And I think that really puts it into light, both the the importance, right? But the fact that they are the everyday people, right? The everyday people who are essential part of the narrative of this country. As an aside to what I will add to that is sort of, you know, just just looking at essential workers. If you look at their sort of spending power, this is also puts it into light, right? Sort of, they hold sort of, I, I saw this number of, sort of 1.5 billion dollars of annual spending, right? This is what goes into the local economy, right? With every trip to the grocery store, this is every purchase at a restaurant, in the retail, you know, wherever. And and these folks, folks also own 1.2 million dollars in homes. I thought these numbers were astonishing, right? The mortgage payments, right? The rental payments, these are, this is all money that's flowing back into the economy. And I think these are everyday folks. These are everyday folks, and they are so essential to the narrative. You've shared so much about the contributions
0: that immigrants have to the economy and how we can switch that lens. And going back to what you said about empathy, how has the COVID experience been for the immigrant population? Most people listening, I imagine, are the consumers. So on the other side of it, yes, they are the essential workers, the delivery people, the, the people doing groceries. So, Most people listening, I imagine, are on that consumption side. Well, thinking about all of those economics, what has the relationship and experience for COVID been for the immigrant population that, let's be honest, a lot of people probably have no concept of? So, how can we switch that lens?
2: How can we create some empathy there? Sure. I mean, I think with COVID, I think it brought sort of morality, mm, (laughs) I was going to say morality, probably morality, but also mortality to the table, right? And I think. In doing so, and, and I, I've heard sort of like constant reports and interviews by healthcare workers who are kind of talking about, I mean, we've been in this field for so long, and yet when we're confronted with this sort of almost daily suffering and death, it does change the perspective. And I think when you think about the numbers of the immigrant population that's represented there, right? I mean, they're they're on both sides of the table, right? They're the caretakers and they're also the folks who are who are suffering right along aside us, right? So I think. In terms of how COVID has affected, I think you know certainly the same, same, the same. It is, it's funny because I, I know this sort of the question is leading: is there a distinct impact? But I think it's even more powerful in thinking about it, it's the same, right? Because we are all folks who are going through this unforeseen pandemic that's affecting the entire world, and we're shoulder to shoulder in it, right? And I think that's what we hear from our clients: our clients have become adaptable, as we all have, and I think that that's also something that that is. Sort of a never going back, we call it the new normal, right? <laughs> In certain circles. And I think that they're part and parcel, right? We're all kind of working through it together. And I th- I think that was what was most significant to me, right? If there was economic hits, it was taken by the immigrant community as well. If there were death and loss and suffering, it was taken by the immigrant community as well. And so the empathy abounds right from both our side and as immigrants and also from the larger community right I, I think it was I think in some ways a leveling a necessary one in some ways and hopefully it doesn't take a global pandemic to build empathy but silver linings right
1: I think that's important, an important reminder of we need to find those opportunities to find that empathy and we, we really do face much of the same challenges and I think there's always a source of empathy in and- identifying that. But you brought up a little bit earlier about the particular challenges of the undocumented community. And I'd love to maybe go in a little bit on that. Can you talk more about just the challenges that undocumented immigrants may face on a day-to-day basis in the country, pandemic or not? And maybe from a high-level view, what the current situation is in terms of creating new pathways to citizenship? And do you think there will be opportunities down the road? and what we can do, I guess, to support the space for those discussions.
2: In terms of the challenges faced by the undocumented communities, right, it's multifold. There's a mural that I pass by on my way to work every day. It starts off as we have no way of knowing what fate may bring our way. And then it's kind of, you know, deteriorate over time. But I'm sure it's the sort of carpe diem sort of saying, right? But it's funny because when I read that, What I extrapolate from that is I think about our clients, and for them, that uncertainty in which they live in is astonishing. The sort of innate fear that must occur where you don't know if the next moment anything you do right, could lead to life-changing circumstances for you, which for somebody who's a citizen doesn't happen. Right. So it's funny because when I see it, I mean, I'm inspired, but at the same time, I think about based on the audience of who is reading that um, it means something very, very different. There's also another sort of underbelly to the undocumented population and the contribution piece of it, too. And being able to contribute fully, right? Because what you see is that undocumented folks go into industries under their skill set. In other words, they're not optimizing what they can do because they have to go into industries that will accept undocumented workers, right? And that basically is a is, I mean, qué lastima, as we would say, what a shame, right? Because. I read another very interesting statistic about how, you know, you increase just a small percentage of the immigrant population and the sort of correlating increase in percentage of patents, right? We see this innovative community that, and and I'll, I'll pause to say here, you know, it's funny, your previous guest, Janice, with her Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, after I've heard her, I was, you know, I, I think she... She focuses a lot on the immigrant community, so I love this concept about finance and, and t- talking about the community, but she actually had a guest recently on her podcast. So here we go. This is the ripple effect you guys are going for, right? So also a woman who is an immigrant, uh, and Dr. Farhana, she goes by, her handle is Dr. Finances, and she's a Bangladeshi woman who came and thrived in this country and is sort of sharing the knowledge about this. But from my perspective, it's you have a community, and I raise her to say because, you know, she talks about the immigrant hustle, right? I, I I can totally vibe with that because it's something that there is so much energy and so much motivation that, that we're not able to fully embrace because of these statuses, right, that are in some ways arbitrary, right? And to speak to what do we think the future is holding or what the heck is happening, right, (laughs) essentially, um, you know, it's funny, I was just reading today how, similar to the Economist letter, essentially a number of legal scholars basically wrote and said that the Senate parliament... So basically there was a bill that essentially included pathways to citizenship, and in some basically a technical procedural way, it was blocked by what they call Senate parliamentarian. So these legal scholars are kind of coming back and saying hey, you guys don't have to listen to the Senate parliamentarian, and here are all the reasons why, right? So this is not a fight that is going away, and all the reasons why are so prevalent. But I do think the sort of untapped potential is so true, right? I had a, um, a a professor of mine who told me something that, that I thought made a lot of sense, which was he used to work for the UNHCR. And he said there was a painting, a, a photo basically um, in his office, right? Which was basically, all black and had sort of like a white outline, a crazy hair. And on the bottom it said, Albert Einstein was a refugee. So the contributions, if there were if there were these pathways, right, that we could definitely expound on and really breaking the cycle of uncertainty for folks would be on on both a humanistic level, but also on a, you know, a holistic level. Once again, we get back to holistic level, right, would be an incredible boon for this country.
0: Well, one of the the things you're talking about here that I'm picking up on is just the sheer skill set that we're not tapping into. And on the other side of not tapping into is we're not giving the space for those people to create and, and thrive, like you're saying, and live that, that best life that they can. Is there something that you've seen, that you've experienced, that companies could do? So aside from, like, getting into, you know, what we can change at the, the political level, because that's a, that's a storm we can get into on another day. But speaking more, can companies do something? Can individuals do something? Are there, are there communities that can come together and create space or more pathways or more accessibility for those pathways? There has to be, just like we keep talking about this holistic approach, there has to be a holistic way to change it
2: too. And to answer that one, I will definitely echo Tori Cooper again when she says hire people, right? But it's actually hire people and pay equitable wages. I think that's what that's what, exactly the quote from her podcast, but it's so true in this space. Now, I think, I mean, there are avenues to do that. The sort of administrative red tape around that, it goes right back to legislation and, and sort of advocacy on that level. You can't get away from that. But I think that if there are companies that are willing to engage in the process, there are definitely avenues. I think we benefit a lot where we want to, but I think if we think more holistically about it, then we're able to hire more people in more varied industries in more areas that we can bring maybe innovation or or talent or art into this country I, I think companies have to be willing to kind of step out of their comfort zone to do that and to wrangle with it right to be able to have the stamina to work through these processes but that's I think dualistic and maybe multi-layered right because it has to it has to make sense right and I think that It requires a revamping of of a lot of different things to make that happen. But certainly, right, think about it, research, and see what we can do in that space for sure. You know, companies exist under this regulatory framework, under federal law, under state law. There are sort of e-verify programs that require them to check the status of individuals. But I do think that there is possibility to be creative in this space, right? Because these are the same companies that are interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really thinking thoughtfully about these issues. And what if country of origin was one of those metrics that companies measure and celebrate and, and study, right? And it becomes part of a national conversation. You know, I think initially the sort of data around the you know diversity was siloed right it was one or two things right but then it's expounded now to include disability to include sexual orientation to include various other aspects that we consider part of this vibrant and diverse workforce country of origin could be one of those things which would show that companies are embracing individuals that bring this different perspective to the table. And then it feeds directly into the conversations and thought processes around innovation. So that's something maybe just to put out there that maybe I challenge folks to think about and see is there is there space to kind of push, expand what we're doing currently, particularly with folks that are interested, companies that are interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: Absolutely. And and companies, any anybody that's running a company out there, give the space for innovation to look like anything. So innovation can look like anyone. I think that when you were mentioning Albert Einstein, the very first thing I thought of was, well, he doesn't really look like the immigrant community that we have today. So I don't want anybody to forget that innovation can look or sound like anything. I think that that's something status quo-wise we can definitely start changing.
1: Anu, I wanted to... Ask and make space for us to be able to talk about the some of the campaigns that EILS and Esperanza are running, including the Stories of Hope campaign, which I, I think is just this beautiful effort to tell some of the incredible stories of members of the immigrant community in your neighborhood in North Philly and elsewhere are bringing. Can you tell a little bit about that, the inspiration for it, and some of the lessons you've seen so far?
2: Sure. Yeah. In terms of the inspiration for Los Cuentos de Esperanza, so your listeners are most likely familiar with Brandon Stanton's series of Humans of New York. I remember when I first started following him years back, I thought, how profound, right? How raw and authentic. And really, it's having a conversation, right? But it enabled, I I felt like I was part of that conversation. And we wanted to kind of emulate that style, and we thought, my goodness, we have an incredible population of folks in which to ask and ask questions and, and to seek that narrative. And so we started this initiative kind of going out in the field. That's the one thing that I always love to I, I know sort of I think Brandon, you know, he, he kind of I think initially kind of walked around the streets of New York to do it. And what I always want to do is kind of capture the client in a space of comfort, right, in a space that resonates with them. So we kind of go out into the field, and and it really is having a conversation about them, right? I mean, when we're doing the work that we do, certainly it is focused in providing this high-caliber legal services to these individuals. And I think we do a great job, but in, in doing so, we... I don't know that we often pause to take the time to appreciate appreciate the individual and see the wholeness of the individual. And so, you know, we we kind of go into the community, we kind of talk with these individuals. And I mean, I'll, I'll share a couple of examples of the folks that we've spoken with because I think it actually feeds nicely into, I mean, certainly focusing on the Latinx community here in terms of the questions about economics, entrepreneurship, right, building wealth and, and all of those things. I, our clients are are tend to be low income. And yet, the sort of what a spirit of entrepreneurship that we see. One of our clients, he's actually Venezuelan. And we did a series on him and he was kind of talking about being the, he's a barber, right? Being the only Venezuelan barber among the Colombians and Puerto Ricans that were in the neighborhood. Um, and I remember he was sharing kind of, yeah, there's this sort of honor code among barbers where, you know, no one touches the other person's clients. And, and so sort of just like building the community right around this and, 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 you know, kind of, striving to have his own barbershop. And, and I just, I mean, I love this. We were, I remember it was raining and we actually went to the sort of first barbershop that he worked in. And we kind of standing under the awning, the owner kind of brought us some chairs and we're sitting and his wife was also there. Um, and we were kind of sitting and and it was just, it was just so, it was a connection, right? And, and that's what I want to relay to the audience is, connect, right? In in whatever way we can, because I think that is absolutely the initial starting point. We also, you know, I talked with a client of mine, very recently and she's talking about you know, she's a dominican woman she's talking about she wanted to create this like partnership with a bodega so that she can run sort of a kitchen in the back and provide like native dominican food i uh, was just talking about it. i was getting hungry i'm telling you <laughs> i won't i won't do that to you guys and i thought it was a great sort of look at what folks are trying to do in this community right our hope and goal for this is really—I mean—it goes back to the two, to the two, right—to show what a vibrant community we have, and to connect, right—to have the folks be able to connect with that community. That's incredible.
0: Oh, I, I love it. Thank you. This is a, a great place for us to talk about advocacy. So we have this foundation of empathy. We have this foundation of building connection, and that's that's where we can start as individuals. And how can we keep going? So how can people, communities become advocates? How can they make a change, whether it's on the legal pathway side or it's on the side of creating space for this this economic force to actually become the economic force that this country might not admit it needs it to be?
2: Sure. Yeah, I think there's the sort of low hanging fruit. And then there's, there's items that I think require a bit more effort, but something that I would absolutely encourage your audiences to kind of partake in, right? So initially, what you can do, I think, is ask questions and listen, right? So if you are able to connect, create, think, eat, uh, no se que, right, just be a part of somebody else's life, right, that is absolutely the starting point. I can't emphasize that enough. I think in addition to that, you know, it's funny because I think folks sometimes have difficulty navigating that space, right? How do I get there, right? I mean, I have the advantage of being a sort of multilingual brown woman, right, and access to that space. But I think what you will find, and as soon as you start that process, right, people are, I think, naturally social creatures, right? We want to share. We want to share who we are, right? And if you come to the table with genuine curiosity, I think you would definitely find, uh, find what you're looking for. So that's the first thing, right? And that I think we can do every day, right? We can do that in, in every moment, in every capacity that we can. The second thing that I would tell, encourage the audience really is, you know, speak out. Right. And there's tons of ways to do that. I don't know if your audience is familiar that, you know, each time a regulatory framework is being reconsidered. Right. There is a public notice period. And essentially that's we're taking comments and thoughts from the public. Right. And there are organizations that will kind of shepherd your comments in. But like currently, right now, the process is open for DACA. Right. If you have a thought, if you support it, if you if you are convinced from what I just told you today. Right. There is an avenue for you to include and have your voice heard with very little research. I think you could absolutely find ways to connect with others who are of the same mindset and amplify. And that's definitely really, really important work that if you can kind of carve out a tiny bit of your social media time to doing or a tiny bit of before you go to bed, scanning your phone time to do. Absolutely, I would encourage that. And finally, I mean, I think if you guys don't mind, I'm going to take sort of a guest prerogative. One of my favorite authors, her name is Ardun Dati Roy. I think she gave one of the best descriptions of advocacy that I've ever heard. So I'm going to quote her. She, I mean, she said, To love, to be loved, to never forget your own insignificance, to never get used to the unspeakable violence and the vulgar disparity of life around you. To seek joy in the saddest places, to pursue beauty to its lair, to never simplify what is complicated or complicate what is simple, to respect strength, never power, above all to watch, to try to understand, to never look away, and never, never to forget. How profound, right? The sort of title of our, our podcast here is The Cost of Immigration. I think we've talked about that a lot. What I wanted to kind of leave the audience with is another title, if you will, the worth of immigration, right? And, and how you can be an ally and a part of that. And for folks who want to do even more, there are definitely opportunities out there in the immigration space coming from a recognition that there are a lot of folks that need representation and not enough supply to meet that demand, um, there is an accreditation process that folks can go through to become a DOJ accredited representative. There are various ways to do that. And it is, you know, it's funny, it's actually kind of stalled right now. And there's a lot of advocacy around getting that program really, really flourishing because it does create a ton of opportunity. And if you, you know, I have to do a shout out to um, Michelle Pistone out of Villanova University, who's created, I think, the first of its kind, totally virtual program. It's called Vista for individuals that are interested in... Learning, getting the training, and getting up to speed in order to serve as representatives and as folks who are savvy in serving clients with immigration needs. So that's something I I will put out there. I want you know folks to be thinking about, and I think you know programs such as Michelle's are are really necessary. And I think start to fill the need that exists out there.
1: That's incredibly beautiful, and I I think probably a good place to end.
2: What do you wish we had brought to this
0: conversation that we didn't? What did we not think of? Whether it's because we couldn't think of it or we just didn't bring it, what did we miss?
2: It's a good question. What I hope to do eventually, I'll I'll kind of put this out there to you guys. And then if there's like space or, because I think, you know, we're talking about our clients, right? And their stories. I want folks to chime in, right? I I think that's part of like this participatory, like the challenges and, and all of this stuff that like really gets a lot of traction. I think this is something like share your immigrant story, right? Like, I don't know if you guys remember when Ed Sheeran, he did like a trend where he had his song, Beautiful, right? Beautiful people, right? That one. And he had like, he posted it. He started this trend. And I think 2.2 million people saying like, post the beautiful people in your life. I mean, it was incredibly uplifting and and, and incredible, right? So my like long-term goal would be to really get people behind this because it's sort of like, Embracing who you are and lifting, mm. right? Like that. That's the that's the whole goal, long term. So, all of which to say, I think we accomplished what we could <laughs> in the time that we had. Um, pero sí, hay muchas posibilidades. Yeah, there's a lot. I think that we can grow with this. I think you guys do amazing work, generally building knowledge but building empathy. I, that's why I kind of gravitate toward this. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank
1: you. That's such an incredibly valuable perspective, and we are truly so happy to have. given the chance to have you on and talk through it all.
0: Thank you so much for listening in on an important and beautiful conversation with Anu Thomas, talking the immigrant population and the genuine true worth of immigration and immigrants in this country. We challenge our listeners to become or continue being an ally in supporting the community with us and take the opportunity to continue educating ourselves.
1: Next week, we have a brand new mini-series coming up on cryptocurrency that we are all super excited about. In a 101 session, we'll talk about the background of crypto, the major trends today from both a historical and technical perspective. We're super excited about it and think you should be too. We'll see you next week and happy money-making. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money.
0: You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Globalthinking
2: Foundation USA. Be sure to rate and review us, and you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com.
0: Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. We'll see you next time.